Thanks for joining us for part two of IEP Basics with Elizabeth Bloom. We're so glad that you are here. And as always, we are just trying to give you practical information and resources because we know that navigating everyday life with our kiddos with disabilities and IEPs and specialists and therapies, it's a lot. And so we have Elizabeth Bloom sharing part two and just be ready to take some notes. Thanks for listening today. Let's go back to the IEP day and the team is encouraging you not just to sign in, but also to sign the IEP at the end of the meeting. I would say what your instinct tells you, which is do not sign. And that isn't because they're trying to pull one over on you and you need to go home and and read it through. It isn't because you are unclear and you want to change everything. The reason that you don't sign right there in the moment is because you do need time to digest it, first of all. And secondly, there may be things you think of the next day, the day after that. And also this piece of, is this really going to work for my child? Because, you know, when someone presents a treatment plan for your child, obviously our, our intention is for it to be really beneficial and for it to be the right, you know, we're so hopeful, you know, and, and we're there for all the right reasons for our children at these IEP meetings, putting these goals together, creating this school infrastructure so that they can do well. And, you know, when that is not put in place, right? Or when it's put in place in a way that just feels a little off to you, you think there should be some more testing or you want to run it by somebody. That's why you don't sign right away (laughs) because you do, it's within your right to take it home, to mull it over and to ask any questions where you need to, or to go back to them and say, you know, this looks good, but I think this goal could be written this way instead to be more effective. Or, you know, have you thought about the assessment showed that in math computation, my child's at low average. I don't see a math goal written here. Is there a reason for that? So, so those are some of the reasons why you want to wait. They will always push you to sign it in the moment. Procedurally, let's just get it done, right? And then they move their paperwork along. They have a tremendous number of students who qualify actually for IEPs and therefore they have a big caseload, but that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to your child. Exactly, exactly. And tell our parents about the notes because there's notes in the IEP. For example, I have it written in for Ryan. So my son has Prader-Willi syndrome, which means left to himself, he could eat himself into a medical emergency. And so he has to be watched 24-7. At home, we live with a locked kitchen. And as you know, through the school years, even though he's even in high school, it still happens that extra food gets brought in for someone's birthday. I wish the school districts would eliminate any extra food in school, and they haven't yet. But I have it written into his IEP that I get a call or a text message from his aide about any extra food that shows up in the classroom. So it's a holiday something. It's a kid's birthday and their mom decides to bring cupcakes. It's written into the notes. So there's a lot that can be written into the notes. I want to empower our parents that 
the notes are really important. And that is an aspect of the IEP document. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And great advocacy in that area, because so often parents don't realize that they can add to the IEP. When, you, when you're presented with the IEP, it's the draft. Okay, so the school has produced a draft. That's what you're getting four days before. I should also mention that you also have the right to audio record. And you can let the district know 24 hours ahead of time that you're audio recording, that that is your legal right. You just need to let them know. And then they most likely will record too. That's helpful for a variety of reasons. When the IEP draft is presented to you and at the end of the meeting, they want you to sign it. We've just discussed the reasons why you shouldn't sign. They also will send you a a final copy that will have all the notes from the meeting. So someone is taking the minutes. And everything that you said, everything that everyone said should be detailed in the minutes. And you can go through those minutes and agree or disagree with them. You can say, this is not what I said, or this is not what I meant. And you can create a parent addendum where you write in informally or type it. That's the other thing. Nothing has to be done formally. When you request an IEP, it's just a handwritten or an email request. I would like an evaluation of my child, an assessment of my child for special ed services. When you are writing these notes, you can handwrite it right on their form and turn it back to them, return it back to them, or you can type something up on the side. It it really doesn't stand on formality. What matters is your voice. In addition to agreeing, disagreeing um, to what was said in the meeting, because sometimes that is a contentious point, writing in your accommodations, accommodations like not not allowing my child to eat any outside food is an accommodation that everybody on that team in that school should who comes into contact with your child should be aware of, particularly when it's a health emergency, of course. And so these accommodations, the parents are part of the team writing these accommodations. So perhaps an accommodation is sitting in the front of the room. Perhaps an accommodation is using the bathroom at at key times during the day without asking the teacher's permission because the child has a toileting issue that needs attention. If the child in your case with the cupcakes or any food that comes in, it's going to take constant vigilance. In terms of adding your voice to the IEP, with your child's needs based on their disability to keep them safe and to keep them moving forward at school is imperative. Accommodations don't cost anything to the school, whereas the services do. So the services have to be tied in to the assessments and the goals, but the accommodations do not. The accommodations are based on the recommendations from the parent, the teacher, perhaps an ADHD coach or a pediatrician, these accommodations can come off the internet. As a parent, you can look up what are the accommodations for a child who can't sit still in their seat. And you might say to the school, I think my child needs a wiggle chair. Uh, What kind of fidgets do you allow? And those type of accommodations are really great to make subtle and significant changes in addition to the services. And you asked me earlier, what if you, what if they offer too many services? I started to say, if the services conflict with your child's well-being and schedule as a whole child, then you have a right certainly to say, you know, we're going to hold off on this one right now. Some parents don't want their children pulled out at all because they do miss key things. And often kids 
who have processing issues, for example, parents don't want them missing science or social studies or another portion of the day to go work on reading exclusively. Some children have trouble with transitions. That transition is too much. There's a lot of reasons why the services may or may not be enough or maybe too much. But as the team, you roll them back or you you roll them out based on what the greatest need is to be able to receive a fair and appropriate education. Thank you. I know it's a lot, right? It's a lot of really good, helpful information. How would you like to end our IEP 101 session for our parents? If you could look in the eyes of our audience, because you know what this is all about as a parent, what would you say? Well, I would tell parents to believe in themselves. I would tell them to take a look at who their child is, strengths and challenge areas, and feel empowered to be the guide on this journey. When you involve yourself with an IEP team, know that you can ask any questions. You can turn to others who have been in, are in support groups or friends or the community at large. Usually the schools will have a special ed community, a task force that is made up of parents. There are resources that are available to you. There are community members available. I would also learn about your own team because every school team is different and they operate differently. The more you know about how your team and your school offer services, what services they offer, the more you are invested in this process, the advocacy becomes more natural because you have been laying a foundation for yourself and hopefully your child will will be able to step in at the appropriate age and start advocating as well. But that's not the case for every family and that's okay. As long as you have a voice cheering in your direction and taking a look at these areas, you're going to move forward and really thrive. So as an educator, I, I can share that it was really difficult for me to look at my child's areas of challenge and not wonder why I couldn't move him past them. And everyone says, oh, it's your own child. It's always harder with your own child. And, and I took that to a certain point, but I thought, who else is going to keep trying for my child as much as I am? You know, and I just kept trying and trying and Really, I needed other professionals to step in and support. And that's what it takes, you know, um, to have a team. It does take a team. And I learned to accept that help. And I think that that's a, a big piece too, is learning that, that the team is there for you to support your child. It can be very discouraging to be on a team where you're hearing flat out teachers complain about your child. Sometimes teachers will flat out say some very unprofessional things. And other times they'll, they won't, they might sit quiet through the whole meeting and not say anything. And they might say, do you have any questions? And then the meeting's over. And so it depends on your team for sure. But knowing your child and knowing that you want to move them forward and you can see that the assessments have provided some information to move you forward, to be able to write some comprehensive goals with the team to be able to evaluate the benchmarks throughout time and revisit anytime you need to is, is really important. What we're looking for actually isn't their potential. We're looking for them to be able to access the learning environment. The, the learning environment 
is what we are adapting, not the child. You know, the school district has is going to have a different benchmark than the parent, most likely. You know, parents want their kids to thrive, and that and that's so important because that does keep the team. You know, a parent has the has the emotion too. If we could talk about emotion for a minute in the IEP meeting, crying in an IEP meeting, absolutely okay. As a parent, feeling that vulnerability, feeling that team should be a safe space for that. And if they're, if, if they're not, it's still okay because the parent has a right to express as they're moving through this problem solving with the team. Sometimes it's acknowledging for the very first time what these challenge areas are, right? These, these assessments can be really illuminating sometimes and the parents are caught off guard or it's, it's confirming something that they suspected. And that grief in the moment is real. I do hope that teams are respectful of that. I don't want parents to ever walk out of a meeting feeling ashamed of that, wanting them to thrive, wanting them to be excited about learning, wanting them to have a positive school experience. A lot of our children have a lot of negative experiences, right? Socially, they're having challenges. Developmentally, they're having challenges. Health-wise, they're having challenges. And school is this stress that now is beyond what a typical kid would experience with school stress because it's beyond what's appropriate for, for kids with disabilities to manage because it's not meeting them where they are. My son is now in the seventh grade and he is still out of first grade reading and writing and, and math capability. And that is fantastic because he has moved from a, a non-starter and he has a better sense of self and a better sense of himself as a student. And he's learning about how he learns and how to move himself forward. And the team is always learning how to move him forward. And that's the only benchmark I go by. Not the seven. If I was to go by the seventh grade standards, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed. <laughs> so that's my my personal story to share. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you sharing your own personal story as well, because... I think our audience needs that and appreciates that. Uh, so thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so glad you joined us for part two of this episode on IEP basics. If you ever have requests for topics or speakers that you would like to hear on the Brave Together podcast, please just send us an email. Send us a message through Instagram at We Are Brave Together. We would love to hear from you. And if you could do us a great favor by leaving a review and a rating, it helps our podcast get into the ears of more and more moms. Also, if you have never joined the international community sisterhood of We Are Brave Together, Go to our website, wearebravetogether.org, and fill out the little form to be a part. We are here to support you and validate you, encourage you, and give you resources for your journey as a mom. Thanks so much for listening.